Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 12 of World Cup 2018 is done. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about that as part of our podcast coming to you daily from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Pete Hoppins, the Senior Design Director for Nike Football Apparel, to talk about Nike's wildly popular design of Nigeria's World Cup kits. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss, who is back in Moscow after a few days in Nizhny, and you're in your hotel. How are you doing, Brian? Um, I just... I'm sweaty. Like, that was just an incredible, uh, that was two hours of punches in the stomach uh, watching those two games, or one game at a time, flipping back and forth and losing your mind. That was that was insane. So I'm kind of running around like an idiot right now. I mean, just a fascinating evening uh, with very late dramatics, Simultaneous games, obviously, in the group finales. Group B tonight had Morocco against Spain and Iran against Portugal. Simultaneous VAR calls, very determinate calls, late in this game, made things absolutely insane. Uh, In Iran against Portugal, you had a VAR call that gave Iran a penalty, which was converted Iran equalized at one at the exact same time as VAR gave Spain a goal, deservedly, uh, and made it 2-2 in their game against Morocco. And then Iran had a chance to eliminate Portugal and put the ball in the side netting, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. I missed, I saw uh, the goal by Aspas for Spain, which was sensational. What a goal. Um, I once scored a goal like that in a game really early on, and um, the other team got annoyed and beat my team seven to one. So, uh, but he did it at the end, and that was awesome. Um, and then, and then I missed the Iran penalty entirely. But then I saw them hit the side netting, uh, and then I, uh, and then I had an aneurysm. <laughs> it was incredible. It was incredible. And and this and and look and and there have been a lot of a lot of press conferences. You know, Didier Deschamps today. Uh, Gareth Southgate, when I was in Nizhny, uh, talking about positioning in the group and who you're going to meet in the second round, and we're not going to worry. We're going to, you know, all the, all the all the permutations. And Didier Deschamps saying today strongly that he wants to finish first in the group. He wants to beat Denmark. He's not worried about the round of 16 matchup, et cetera, et cetera. But this matter, uh, you know, Spain gets Russia now, and Portugal has to play Uruguay. Those are two very, very different opponents. And then in the next stage. Uh, the winner of the the um, Portugal Uruguay game probably you know France is in that side of the bracket, whereas right. on the other side it's a bit lighter. So it, it mattered where you finished here, and uh, it was just incredibly dramatic um, and nonsensical. Well, for the most of the the game, I was actually most disappointed with Spain because they were struggling against Morocco, ended up going down two to one in the game, and were really in a position before the the VAR craziness where Spain was going to finish second in the group. And you were kind of like, what are you doing? And I I was saying that to Spain throughout the game. I mean, from the start, you had Gerard Piquet come in on a two-footed tackle where he might have gotten a red card, uh, didn't. Uh, You had Sergio Ramos, uh, the other revered center back for Spain, uh, both of their center backs having poor performances tonight 
Uh, Ramos having a, a misplay on the ball with uh, Andres Iniesta that set Morocco free on their first goal, and then Ramos beaten for the header on Morocco's second goal. And it's so funny to me. I mean, like... Yes, in the end, it's kind of what we expected, Spain in first, Portugal in second. But the way we got there was absolutely not what we expected. And you have to give a ton of credit to Iran for putting themselves in a position to advance. And they just didn't. And, and, just, and just think of Ronaldo gets that red card, right? Yeah. Where we are now. I mean, there, there, are, no, there are no good teams in this tournament, essentially. <laughs> That's what it's come down to. Every team is flawed. Even the ones that are two and zero have either played, you know, uh, you know, junior high teams or are are teams like like France, for example, that just doesn't look convincing. Um, Spain has struggled. Brazil has struggled. They're, they're just it's mayhem. It's complete mayhem. I feel like two thirds of the goals in this tournament have been scored in stoppage time. Um, it's I don't know how else to say it. I'm running out of synonyms. I, I, here's my thought: Is Croatia and Mexico are the two best teams we've seen so far? That may be true. Yeah, Mexico. That may be true. That may be true in terms of 90-minute performances and against against good opposition. That actually might be the case. In which case, like I knew, I knew when against, uh, I knew when Evgeny Kuznetsov scored in Pittsburgh that like the the, the sports polarity reversed <laughs> and like the world would never be the same. And here we are with Mexico being the best team in the World Cup. I mean, it's absolutely crazy, but here's Mexico, which still has not clinched a berth in the knockout rounds, has to get a result against um, Sweden to do so. And Croatia, which has been amazing, goes tomorrow night against Iceland, a team that I think can beat Croatia and give itself a chance to advance along with Croatia. So um, lots of craziness in this tournament, and I'm really liking it. Do you have any, since you did the Mo Salah piece, do you have any sort of thoughts on his kind of very melancholy World Cup? The three losses, um, sort of not, not even, didn't even look like he wanted to celebrate his goal today. The controversy about his dalliance with the, the, the Chechen leader. I mean, do, do you sort of, it's very, it's very sad. Like, uh, to me, like, the, the excitement that we all had for him and for Egypt um, a few weeks ago, like, it just could not have gone worse. You know, so it's kind of a letdown on that front. It's a pretty big bummer. My main hope for most Salah is that he can come into next season with Liverpool and basically continue where he left off, that it's not something where we're talking about, oh, he had a really big bummer of a World Cup and that's going to carry over now to Liverpool. Because he's been such a great story with Liverpool. And, you know, ever since the injury in the Champions League final, it's just been a stretch of bad luck for him. And... Really, the, the Egyptian FA has not done right by him at all. You know, there's no way they should have been located in Chechnya in the first place. That was a political yeah, yeah. deal. Oh, God, the, 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 the unprofessional from top to bottom, this handling of that entire situation, letting him leave his hotel and, like, you know, go on a field trip with a warlord. Like, what the hell? Yeah. No, it's absolutely crazy. And I thought about maybe we should do power rankings good and bad for FAs. Because I think the Egyptian FA and the Argentinian FA would be right at the top of worst federations in the world. Right. I mean, Ar- right. Ar- Argentina is an absolute mid-meltdown, too. And I'll be at France-Denmark tomorrow and um, here in Moscow, so I'll cover that game. And then, like, while I'm, 
writing that story, essentially, I'm going to not be writing it because, sorry, Avi, because it's going to be the two Group D deciders going out simultaneously, which is going to be insane. I wonder how they'll do it in the media center. I wonder if they'll... It, it was really... Like, there's no picture-in-picture picture here. And another thing for, for listeners at home, all of the, the, the highlights and stuff that are being tweeted out by Fox and then um, retweeted by us at SI and everybody else, that's all blocked here. So it's really... It's actually hard to get World Cup highlights if you're not tech-savvy and sort of left for Russian television... Um, obviously no DVR. Uh, so, you know, scrambling, looking for, for replays and highlights and things like that. Um, and it'll be interesting. And obviously no picture-in-picture picture or whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that tomorrow. I, I don't know. I, I understand the competitive. I know about the disgrace of Gihon. I know the story. Look it up if you're not familiar with it from the 1982 World Cup. I understand why they play these games at the same time. Um, I'm sure there's going to be hijinks come 2026. Uh, when two teams in, in the groups of three, when the two teams in the last game can kind of mess around a bit, but, but it's just too much to handle. Like I, I don't know what the right answer is, but it's it's too much for me. I'm oh man, no, dude, this is one of my favorite things are the simultaneous group finales. I just did my video essay for tonight uh, about that and how disappointed I am that they're set to go away with expansion to 48 teams in 2026. Well, you're sitting in, but you're, you're probably sitting in a, you're, you're, you're sitting on the, you're essentially on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. You're probably watching both games from 10 angles at the same time. Yes, I am at the Fox. Like I'm, uh, wa- I'm, wa- I'm, I'm the watching, Fox location. I'm watching on, the, on, a, on a, you know, 1950s Soviet television. Well, uh, I understand that situation. It's pretty great, actually. We have two giant TVs in the Fox Sports Lounge here uh, that are showing both games simultaneously. So we were actually uh, just, you know, watching both tonight and going crazy. Uh, and I'll be very sad if that goes away in 2026. I think FIFA still has time to find a better group format that allows for four-team groups, I hope. We'll see. A couple more things that caught my eye today. Um, Spain's uniforms, so delicious with the black socks, so good. Um, Charisma's goal, which yeah. just gets lost in all the insanity, but they're very similar to Cherishov's goal and the Cherishov's goal in the, in the opener, that outside of the, the boot curler, the kind of shot that, you know, you get yelled at for trying at basically <laughs> any level of soccer in the world, except for, like, if you're one of these dudes and they can pull it off. Um, I think there was this amazing scene. You know, right, like Sergio Ramos just had a, had a, had a nightmare of a day. And there was this amazing scene where he kicked the ball. He took a shot, and it went, you know, 40 yards into the stands. And I guess you can keep the ball now at a World Cup. <laughs> can you? Like baseball. And so the ball goes into the stands, and, he, and this guy catches it. And his friend is just like, I'm going to try to rip this out of your hands. And they start fighting for it, and it's on camera. <laughs> and the dude's trying to rip the ball out of his friend's hands. And then they realize they're on camera, and they stop fighting. <laughs> and wave and cheer at the camera. And it was amazing. <laughs> People love being like I'm the only person on planet who hates being on camera. Everybody else friggin' loves it. Um, what what a day, man! Like just breathless stuff, and obviously you know Uruguay uh, taking care of business against Russia. No surprise. Um, Uruguay's not even been. I mean, you can't even say they've been tested. I mean, there's never been an easier group in the history of the, of the World Cup than this one. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle Portugal, which is the definition of sort of a rugged and tournament tested team. So, um, you know, place your bets now for, for the odds of that game not ending 11 on 11. <laughs> um, and uh, more to come, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I'll talk to you tomorrow.
Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Pete Hoppins about Nigeria's World Cup kits. Our guest today is somebody you might not have heard of before, but he's had a big impact on the kits at this World Cup, including Nigeria's, which has gotten so much attention and is maybe the most popular World Cup kit we've seen in many, many years. Pete Hoppins is the Senior Design Director for Nike Football Apparel, and he's joining me today from Oregon. Thanks for joining me, Pete. Hi, Grant. How are you? Doing well. Really enjoying the World Cup here in Russia and uh, appreciate you getting up early over there for this recording. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about, in particular, this Nike Nigeria kit, which has really gotten currency, not just in the soccer world, but even in the, the fashion community. And there's so much demand around the world for it. And uh, I wanted to say congratulations for starters, but also get a sense from you about how this kit came together. Yeah, thanks, Grant. Um, yeah, this has been, um, I think it's kind of taken us all by surprise, uh, the popularity of this jersey. But um, yeah, it started about two years ago, um, the design process. So if you think about it now, you know, as the World Cup's going on, we're actually in the middle of designing uh, Eurochamps 2020. So that's how far out we're, um, we're designing. Um, yeah, the, um, it kind of started with um, a small group of uh, the design team wanting to do something different uh, outside of our usual um, kind of constraints uh, that we kind of um, uh, put on ourselves. And uh, we were looking for a team really that we could take some risk with mm-hmm. and uh, really kind of change uh, the aesthetic and kind of cultural reference points for, um, for football. And uh, we kind of ended up choosing Nigeria to do that with. Okay. And I would assume that certain countries that you work with are definitely more traditional and you really can't do as much in terms of taking risks risks or experimenting. Uh, but Nigeria is not one of them, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that was exactly why we, um, we kind of chose Nigeria. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the England kit, it, ha- it has to be white. The Brazil kit has to be yellow, um, you know. So you you have these um, these restraints that are um, that are kind of long lasting um, traditions, and um, you know there's different um, different federations who we work with and different clubs are um, more um, susceptible to um, to change and to try new things. Um, so um, so yeah, we, we we kind of landed on. Um, on, on Nigeria as the, as the team that we wanted to really push the boundaries on. Okay. And how did the idea process work? I'm fascinated by just the the creative process and, and the stages of it. How long did it take to, for this to come together? So it's about, it's a, about a two-year process mm-hmm. in terms of from initial kind of concept or like idea and story to actually the players wearing it on pitch. Uh, and then before that, probably maybe about a year before that, we we look at like innovation. So in terms of new fabrications, new yarns, um, making the lightest weight, most breathable uh, jersey possible. So that, that process starts probably about three years out from every World Cup. Mm-hmm. And then as we get closer to the time um, we start to build the concepts and the ideas and the stories for each of the uh, each of the teams playing at the world cup 
And then from there, we have a series of uh, check-ins, like design reviews um, uh, on the actual like uniform designs and the collections that we're building. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll be straight with you, like this design, not just of the, the, the jersey that we've seen out there, but also a lot of the other aspects of this Nigeria kit, including the, the warm-up tops and, uh, and all of it, basically. I suggest any listener who hasn't seen it yet, if you've been on the dark side of the moon, check it out. Um, but like, it felt to me like a Fela Kuti song. Is, is the first thing that came to mind. And I was wondering, like, when you're coming up with that, is, is that something that you're even thinking of? Well, I think, so with, with Nigeria, what we actually did is um, we dived super deep into the culture of uh, Nigeria. And it started off with a lot of the young players who are playing for um, Nigeria, who are based in, who are all, a lot of them are playing in the Premiership, mm-hmm. but they're all um, connected through music and fashion, and there's this kind of like movement that's happening uh, in Nigeria called Niger, which is like the um, the youth of Nigeria, like the new Nigeria, mm-hmm. and this is kind of connected with what's happening in London with the music scene there. And the, all these things are kind of all interconnected. And we kind of went around this like rabbit hole of inspiration and design and found out about this whole amazing culture that's happening. And that is um, what we wanted to kind of bring to life. And it wasn't just on the jersey. We wanted to kind of put it onto the full collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is really the, the first time that we really dug super deep and then kind of tried to encapsulate that vibe, the Niger spirit, um, uh, through a full collection. Um, and then and then it was about getting it in front of um, some of these players and, um, and kind of uh, cultural influencers. And then I think, you know, as soon as we started showing the, um, the designs and the product to the players, uh, we knew we were kind of onto something. Interesting. So were there any particular Nigeria players or cultural figures that really, I guess, were part of this process and responded well to you about what you were doing? Yeah, the well, um, Alex Awobi and Ian Nacho, mm-hmm. two, young, two young guys playing in, playing in the Premier League. I think kind of started from them, really, uh, in terms of like a muse and... Um, it really, really just just spread, you know. And then we've started to see this crossover between London and Lagos with the likes of Skepta, who's a big, uh, is a huge, uh, influential grime, uh, grime music, it's like English rap, mm-hmm. uh, in, in in the UK, you know. And then there's this uh, another guy called Starboy, okay, also also known as Wizkid. He's a huge. Um, musician in um in nigeria and then he has this crossover with with london and so it's all starting to uh it was all starting to kind of come together and um, and bubble up and um i think you're really seeing what you're kind of seeing is um almost this 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 shift into football becoming a lifestyle similar to what we saw with um kind of like basketball in the late 80s and early 90s, 
similar to skateboarding becoming a lifestyle in the late you know mid to late 90s i think you're what you're seeing right now is football really having its moment and that sharp point or this tipping point is really this whole nigeria collection at this world cup and how that is kind of informing um this new kind of cultural um explosion of fo- through football do you have an idea so far of sales figures around the world I have, I have no idea. I leave that to the sales guys. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, in terms, I know there's lots of there's lots of rumors flying around, but I have, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, in terms of the Federation of Nigeria, did you have to do yeah. any persuading at all of them to sell them on this on approving it? Um, yeah, uh, actually, one of our um, one of our designers, a guy called Daniel Farron, who's who's been one of the lead guys on this project. He's he's actually in Russia right now, mm-hmm. um, uh, going to the uh, to the Nigeria game. So he um, he went over to London. We had a meeting with um, the president of the uh, the federation, um, and usually it's uh, when we do these. We, we do these meetings, it's mostly the Federation, uh, it'll be the president and his like associates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time we actually managed to pull in um, some of the younger players. Hmm. There's, a, there's a video going around on YouTube, you can, you can go and check it out. If you type in Nigerian president reacts to um, Nigeria collection, <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's out there. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't know who put it out there. But, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can see the reaction of the of the at the players and the president, and and one of the reasons why we we brought the players in was because we wanted a younger um, uh, a view and reaction to the kit and the collection mm-hmm. to kind of help um, kind of persuade the president. But you know what, the president he you know hats off to him. He was he was fully on uh, and engaged and excited about it from from the get go. So. No, that that made a massive difference. And were there any sort of historical aspects or like a particular Nigeria uniform from the past that this design was sort of alluding to, taking a nod to? Yeah, the 1994 Nigeria jersey mm-hmm. uh, is was like the was the starting point or the reference point. Um, it kind of has these. Um, like almost like eagle wings mm-hmm. on the sleeves, and so we wanted to replicate that um, that energy, but bring it into uh, a more modern aesthetic. And you know, if you, if you see, if you look at all the Nike kits um, as a whole, like if you look at Croatia or um, the England away or you know, training jersey, you know, there's a there's a there's a shared kind of like aesthetic or language mm-hmm. that runs across all the jerseys. It's just how you interpretate that language mm-hmm. um, through that federation. So those eagle wings um, that we were referencing, you know, the, the Nigeria team are called the Super Eagles. Mm-hmm. It's an eagle on their crest. So we created a kind of modern, uh, like a faster looking version of that eagle wing. And then that was the kind of inspiration for the, for the um, for the print that you can see on the home jersey. Okay, and it's not so much the case now, but I do remember previous World Cups, maybe two thousand six, 
2002 to an extent where there was more of a cookie cutter sense about some of the national team kits where there was a similar design at times for multiple countries. And I'm wondering, clearly that's not the case these days. And I'm wondering how much more time it takes to do such an individualized design process. Yeah, I think the um, templating, I think you would call it, of uh, football kits is something that's been we've been doing, or out there, or the industry's been doing since probably the since football kit design started in the nineteen seventies. There's a great um, a documentary. Um, I think it's based on Admiral, who were like the very first um, sportswear kind of licensed branded. Um, jersey manufacturers so you, you should go you know you, you and your listeners you should check it out it's absolutely fascinating mm. but that was that was very much a copy cutter um template approach but then using color and and graphics to kind of tell individual stories for the teams or or the clubs um so it is it, a lot of it is to do with um uh manufacturing mm-hmm. and how and how it, it, you know, it it becomes really complicated to make uh, individual um, kits for every single team. Because um, if you think about how many different versions of a kit there are, I think if I think Barcelona, I think we have like fifty five different versions of the actual jersey. So hmm. you have the you know you have the players, what the players wear. Then you have like the fan version, and then you have you know. Um, women's kids little kids babies you, you know you have like all these all these different versions of the same kit so then if you multiply that by whatever night however many teams nike has you know it's in the hundreds you, you know it starts to get out of hand uh, how many how many how many um uh, jerseys actually have to be made and manufactured and kept to like the highest standard possible. So that's kind of one of the reasons why you see a lot, of, a lot more templating. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are kind of ways, um, well, not kind of ways around it of, of like how to create more individuality, but still have a um, uh, a similar chassis or, or template. Mm-hmm. So that that's something that we that we work on. Um, we work specifically on for this World Cup. Um, there's you know there's a there's a shared um, innovation um, fabric. Uh, there's a shared aesthetic to how the um, the jerseys are cut, mm-hmm. um, but then it's 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 really through you know color and graphics and storytelling that we can make them like more individual. Mm-hmm. I guess I would just wrap it up by asking you: with the success, the raging success of this Nigeria kit and collection. Do you think that might cause other federations you work with to be in the future more willing to take risks and maybe even some federations that have always been seen as you know, quote unquote traditional? Oh yeah, we're we're already seeing that. Um, yeah, so the so we're working on twenty twenty. Uh, so Europe, Euro Champs 2020, and then the club season, uh, the European club season for twenty. 2020, 21. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, a lot of the briefs that are coming in are 
we want we want a bit of Niger. You know, we want we want some of that energy. So um, that's really that's really exciting um, for us. And you know that that was definitely like the intention was to kind of try and um, you know get federations and clubs to um, get on board with something that's more youthful and more energetic and and take more risks because you know if if we're asking consumers to go and buy a new jersey every season then it needs to be more different from the last one otherwise they're not going to go and buy it so um for us it's like trying to bring excitement to the to the players but also to the to the fans as well i love that quote we want a bit of niger that's fantastic well, thank you so much, Pete Hoppins, uh, Senior Design Director for Nike Football Apparel, for joining me, and congratulations. Thank you, Grant. Enjoy the World Cup. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Pete Hoppins, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.